Thanks for joining us for Life Community Church. Well, happy Mother's Day, everybody. Oh, it's going to fall. I saw that coming and didn't circumvent it fast enough. <clears throat> My name is Liz, and I am one of the lead pastors here at Life. I'm, I'm thrilled that we finally made it to spring. It might just be happening one day, but... <laughs> It, spring has been the longest coming season this, this year, so woo. My, um, my desire for Mother's Day is just to go outside and enjoy the weather and the sunshine because it's been uh, a long time since I've soaked up some vitamin D, <laughs> so I'm excited about that. Um, I know that Today can come with mixed feelings, and I want to acknowledge that, that sometimes this day holds um, beauty and pain in the same space. Um, you know, it can be a day where, you know, like myself, I experienced motherly loss uh, young in my life. Um, so maybe you've experienced motherly loss. Maybe you've had um, motherly dreams that haven't been fulfilled or... Uh, mother, mother relationship that isn't quite as desired. So all those experiences and stories belong today and in this space, um, even as we celebrate mothers. So just know that that is our, our heart um, on days like today. Have you ever um, heard someone say the phrase, I've hit the wall, you know? Maybe you can remember a time um, when you were in college or in high school, you had to do some kind of paper or midterm, right? And you were just like, oh, I can't think of anything else to write. Like, I've hit the wall. Or um, maybe you uh, are a creative person, right? And you start some kind of creative project, uh, and then you just, you, you can't figure out how to go for any further, right? You've hit the wall, and you have to take a break, get some mental space before you can come back to that project and uh, make progress, right? It's usually where you kind of hit some kind of physical or, or mental block where you just feel like you can't go further um, and make more progress. It can really relate to any undertaking, right? Where you, you just feel like, bam, there's some kind of barrier that I have hit. Well, a similar phrase is well known in marathon running. And I will not be here next Sunday because I will be running a full marathon. Um, but that is a common experience, especially for first time marathon runners where you hit the wall. And it's a terrible experience. <laughs> I have experienced it before. Um, but basically what happens is the glycogen that's stored in your muscles, the carbohydrates that are stored in your muscles become completely depleted, right? And so this overwhelming sense of fatigue and weakness take over. And you really feel like you cannot go any Further, that is why um, marathon runners carbo load. Okay, I used to think you used to only do it for like one day, like you just eat a good hearty pasta dinner like the night before a race. 
but that's how you hit the wall. Um, I have come to learn after some experience of marathon running that one way to avoid hitting the wall is to uh, carbo load for a whole week. So 90% of my uh, calories this week will be carbs because your muscles can store up that glycogen for, for days upon days upon days before you race. Um, but I have a, a video of even after doing all the right things, sometimes you still hit the wall. Sometimes your body just says, this, it's, I'm out of resources here. So this is an Olympian runner who has um, had this experience during the marathon. Now look at this difference. Athletes who don't cheat can win lasting glory. And boy, did we see an astounding performance yesterday at the marathon in Austin, Texas. Here's Manuel Bajorquez. Almost done. Kenyan runner Yvonne Negetic had been in the lead for nearly 26 miles. The finish line was within sight when this happened. Overcome by exhaustion, Negetic fell onto her hands and knees, but kept going. race director John Conley was watching. I've seen athletes wobble and fall. I've seen athletes crawl across the finish line. But that story of her going 26 miles and then crawling the last 450 feet or so, uh, never seen anything like it. When the medical team rushed to help and offered a wheelchair, she refused. She's taking no for an answer. Keep on going, young lady. Negetic had still managed to come in third. Conley greeted her after the race. You ran the bravest race and crawled the bravest crawl I have ever seen in my life. Crawling the last 50 meters to the finish line! Negetic couldn't recall those final moments. For the last two kilometers, I don't remember. She did it! She made it! Running always, you have to keep going, going. Conley bumped up her cash prize. He says it was the least he could do. I have never heard our, our crowds that loud cheering for an athlete like, like that. It's I like mean, she won the race. She is the defining moment of that weekend for us. You are one tough young lady. An image of defeat turned into triumph. Manuel Bajorquez, CBS News, Austin. So as someone about to run the marathon, that is a little <laughs> painful to watch because, um, I mean, you noticed her knees scraping on the ground, right? I mean, she, she, was, she was giving it every last ounce of effort. Um, once you hit the wall like that, it takes great courage and grit to just keep going one tiny step crawl at a time. Now, <clears throat> in the journey of faith, there is uh, an expression called the wall as well. And we can hit a spiritual wall in our journey of faith. And here's what um, the wall in uh, the stages of faith can be defined as. It can be a profound time of seeking understanding 
trying to reconcile various life experiences with one's faith. It can be a season where we must face our brokenness, the brokenness of others, and the brokenness of our communities. It can be a time when we no longer hide from the questions and doubts and we begin to confront what's really going on deep inside of us. So we have been in this series about faith and doubt where we are um, encouraging that, and that, that doubt and questioning and wondering are a part of our faith experience and to not fear those types of experiences. The authors of The Critical Journey, Stages in the Life of Faith, they talk about faith as having six different stages. And I'm going to put a diagram up on the screen that is, visually shows these stages. Um, it's, it might be kind of hard for you to read way in the back, but stage one is right there on the top, recognition of God. Stage two, life of discipleship. Stage three, productive life. Stage four, inward journey. Stage five, outward journey. Stage six, life of love. And right between stages four and five, you can see a little line coming out, right? And that's called the wall. Now, encountering the wall, what I want you to take away from today's sermon is a sign that your spiritual life is growing and maturing. If you encounter a season that feels like hard and depleting and weak, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. It means that you're moving through stages of faith. I think sometimes the church can give the opposite message that, you know, we, we lift up the people that have absolutely no questions and doubts that seem to be absolutely certain and never have these seasons of, of difficulty, of wilderness, of, of doubts and questions. But really, what this diagram uh, affirms for us is that this can be part of our faith formation. That as we journey inward, there's a lot of uncertainty that comes to the surface. There's a lot of healing and questions that are revealed. And as we make that journey outward, God wants us to wrestle with those places of our humanity and life and faith that are difficult at times. And the, when you do hit the wall, it can feel like uh, that runner in the video where it's disorienting. You know, she said she couldn't even remember it, right? She was confused. She was disoriented. She was definitely tired and weak and exhausted. There is a verse from Lamentations, and, and I think this can... Um, identify that feeling. Jeremiah, this is what he says about God. He says, you have hidden yourself in a cloud, so our prayers cannot reach you. That's how Jeremiah felt. And maybe you can resonate with that, where you've had seasons where 
things feel real fuzzy spiritually and you cry out to God, but it feels like your prayers aren't really reaching him. They aren't really going anywhere. They're kind of bouncing off the clouds in heaven and floating around and coming back down. And you're, you're not really sure how to experience God in these times, in these seasons. Now, not everybody goes through uh, the wall. Not everybody makes it through the wall. Some people see the wall and they're just like, okay, return, return, let's go back. You know, like you ever go down the wrong way on a one-way street? You ever find yourself like realizing like, oh no, there is traffic coming towards me. I must have not noticed that this was a one way. And you try as quickly as you can to recalculate and turn around and get back going the right way. You know, it takes a lot of courage to go through the wall. And it's natural for us to avoid pain and difficulty, right? We're human. We don't, we don't want to go the wrong way. We don't want to uh, go through suffering. Those are things that we want to avoid and resist. And so it, it's natural to want to avoid seasons um, or experiences of the wall. So here are some ways we resist the wall. There are wall avoiders, okay? These are um, people that just avoid the experience altogether in their life, right? And this is a very common response. Um, and people go on to have still a meaningful relationship with God that works for them. doesn't mean you don't have a relationship with God. It just means that there, you may, might not have yet developed the capacity and strength needed to face these deep, difficult realities in life. It can be, you can see it kind of where it's hard to stay engaged with people that disagree with you, or it's harder for them to um, deeply empathize with people that are in suffering. There's wall ignorers. This is where, okay, we, you see the wall, but you just kind of choose not to acknowledge that it's there. Um, you might throw yourself into responsibilities, materialism, um, make excuses that, you know, maybe you'll get to that, those hard things when you are more settled or at a certain place in life. <clears throat> I definitely identify with wall ignorers. You know, I might see the wall and be like, oh, just now's not the time for this. So I'm just going to go back this way, you know. Um, I, I just don't really have the capacity in my life to pull apart this wall right now. You know, I'll just wait until things feel a little bit more settled. Or maybe I've taken off one brick and uh, let God kind of do some work in me. And then I'm like, okay, uh, that, that's good for now. And I'll come back another time when there's, uh, I have some more space to deal with that. And then there's wall powders where you can just sit down right in front of the wall and say, why aren't others here with me? You know, why aren't other people asking these same kind of questions? Why aren't other people as upset about this issue that I am as well? And why do people even still go to church when they have these types of questions? 
No one really understands the, the pain that I'm in. You know, and then you can just feel bitter and it leads to cynicism. And then there are wall doubters who are um, eternally optimistic that there just, there must be some easy way around this wall. You know, we can just kind of hop over it or peer around it and just kind of like move that hard part of life out of the way with and just make it to the other side. You know, of course there's a way around this wall. But they, but they honestly doubt that you have to take apart this wall brick by brick. And so they might throw themselves into productive activities that give a, a false sense of achievement and relief. But the wall really needs to be experienced and taken apart brick by brick to go through it. We're going to look at um, a uh, someone in the Old Testament who I think experienced a, a season of hitting the wall. His name is Elijah, and he is a prophet from the Old Testament. And his call was to turn the hearts of people back to true worship. Now, in the Old Testament, there were false gods, and then there was the one true God, who is still the one true God. But a lot of people worshipped Baal, which is a false god. And um, this prophet, his job, his calling, his life's work was to, to point people towards God as for true worship. And he won victory in doing this. He, he got rid of the idols. He got rid of the prophets from those idols, and the king's wife was really upset that he did this, of course. And so her name is Jezebel, and she threatened to come after her, him with full vengeance and take his life. And after um, receiving that threat, we're going to pick up the story. So it starts in 1 Kings, well, where we're going to pick it up, 19 through 14. And I'm just going to have a, a picture, an image on the screen as I read. When Elijah saw how things were, he ran for dear life to Resheba, far in the south of Judah. He left his young servant there and then went on into the desert, another day's journey. He came up to a lone broom bush and collapsed in its shade, wanting in the worst way to be done with it all, to just die. Enough of this, God, take my life. I'm ready to join my ancestors in the grave. Exhausted, he fell asleep under the lone broom brush. Suddenly, an angel shook him awake and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and to his surprise, right by his head was a loaf of bread baked on some coals and a jug of water. He ate the meal, and then he went back to sleep. The angel of God came back, shook him awake again. Get up, eat some more. You've got a long journey ahead of you. So he got up, ate, and drank his fill, and set out. Nourished by that meal, he walked 40 days and nights all the way to the mountain of God, to Horeb. When he got there, he crawled into a cave 
and went to sleep. Then the word of God came to him. So Elijah, what are you doing here? I've been working my heart out for the God of the angel armies, said Elijah. The people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, destroyed the places of worship, and murdered your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. Then he was told, go stand on the mountain at attention before God. God will pass by. A hurricane ripped through the mountains and shattered the rocks before God, but God wasn't to be found in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, a gentle and quiet whisper. When Elijah heard the quiet voice, he muffled his face with his great cloak, and he went to the mountain mouth of the cave and stood there. So what stands out to you as I read that text, as I read that story? I think when I hear that story, the extreme hopelessness of Elijah really stands out to me. The, the humanity of him just giving up, wanting to just be done and just not doing nothing else but sleeping, you know? Like he doesn't know what else to do in this moment because he is so distraught that he just goes to sleep. You know, as a prophet, some of these characters in the Old Testament, we think that they are so spiritual, that they are, you know, super spiritual. Like a prophet should be doing something different than running into the wilderness sleeping. But his humanity, it, it just, it, it, it speaks in this text. He's been, up until this moment, a very faithful and courageous prophet that has done miracles. And yet, in this moment, his faith has really failed him. He feels like what, he's come face to face with this problem of being threatened, and he is, he's burnt out. He's, he's broken. He's, he longs for death in this scene. You know, have you ever walked through a season of burnout? That can be a wall experience. And instead of doing the right things, crying out to God, praying, sacrificing. I mean, he knows all the things that he can do as a man of God, as a prophet. And instead, he hides, he sleeps, he's depressed, he's avoiding and pouting. God, I've done all these things for you. And what does God do? How does God respond to Elijah in this scene. He feeds him. He feeds him. And he lets him sleep some more. He takes a, like three or four naps in this whole scene, right? I mean, yes, it's like a 40-day-plus a journey, so he's sleeping, you know, every night. But he takes multiple naps. God lets him rest. And he wakes him up to give him a snack, 
give him some nourishment, and he lets him go back to sleep. You know, thinking of taking care of your own child that's just sick or tired or burnt out and done. You know, you would let them sleep, wake them up. Hey, I made you this food. Go back to sleep, make some, some more food. And then God invites him to just take one next step, which is a long step. It's 40 days of walking into the wilderness to get to the mountain of God. And this mountain of God is the place of, of meeting in the Old Testament, right? It's where Moses got, went to go meet with God. So this is an important mountain that he's journeying to. So God made sure that he was nourished. But he didn't give him all the instructions yet. He just gave him one next step. And so he makes this journey there. He's probably still in a very bad place on this journey, depressed, suffering. And he gets there, and God says, I'm going to meet with you. And so he, he expectantly goes out, and God's not in the wind He's not in the earthquake. He's not in the blazing fire. Elijah has called down fire from heaven to burn up sacrifices earlier in this book. But God is not in that moment. He's not meeting him in that way. I would think for a prophet who is supposed to be hearing from God as his calling and job, this would be a very disorienting experience to say, all the ways that I have been used to meeting with God, experiencing God, hearing from God have changed. And I can't depend on those things right now. I'm, I'm calling out to God and it's like my prayers are just bouncing right, boomeranging right back to me. And instead he hears God in this small voice. And he leans in to listen with his cloak. I think it took a lot of faith for him to hear God in a completely different way than he was used to. Everything that he knew about God was changing in this wilderness experience. The way he was meeting with God and experiencing him had shifted. God is not absent, but he works in different ways through the stages of faith. And going through the wall, through these times of, of suffering and deep healing and questions and doubt, they are possible. And sometimes once you've done it, you do it multiple times throughout your life. God really does desire to bring us into deeper freedom and healing from our brokenness, from the brokenness of the world. Pastor Steph O'Brien, um, she says this in her book, Stay Curious. We need to move in order to pass through the wilderness or wall. Taking actions that help our minds and hearts open can bring new perspectives on what direction we need to take. Elijah encounters God during a season of doubt and questioning, and we can too. 
So I'm going to close um, with an exercise that uh, helps open our hearts and minds to God. It is called Visio Divina. You might have heard of Lectio Divina, okay, which is a meditative way, prayerful way of reading scripture. This is a prayerful way of um, looking at an image, like a painting or a picture where we keep our heart open to God. Now, I'm not going to pretend that this isn't a little stretching, okay? So, you know, you're going to just have to just trust it, okay? So I'm going to ask Nancy to dim the lights, and I'm going to uh, have Josh put the image on the screen. So we're just going to close before worship by doing this. So one way to engage your mind and heart right now is to just get comfortable in your seat. Relax your body. Take a deep breath. And just let your eyes fall over this picture. The picture of Elijah. Notice the, the lines, the color, the shapes, the form. Notice what parts your eyes are drawn towards. And just keep relaxing, breathing, noticing. As you notice things in this picture, what kind of, what stirs in you? What emotions do you feel? What kind of stands out to you? Just, you can just go ahead and settle your focus on, on one thing and, and just, God, what are you saying to us? What are you saying to me? This is Elijah pulling up the cloak and listening to that still, small voice. I've, <clears throat> as I look at it and I consider what God might be saying, I think I notice the barrenness of the scene. I noticed how Elijah is, is hearing God's voice in the barren wilderness. I mean, that's a barren picture. I, when I picture God in my mind and I think about hearing his voice, it's in like a garden, okay? It's in like lush, green, beautiful place. And so I, I am struck by the bleakness of the image and 
God's encountering him in that bleakness. So let, let me pray as we move into worship. God, I am, we come before you and just thank you for the ways that you, you speak and you encounter us in all of our seasons of life. When it feels like we're flourishing and growing and when it feels like our, our prayers are, are bouncing back off of heaven and coming back and we can't quite find you and experience you. I am thankful that you are faithful through each season. And so I pray that you would just continue to encounter us wherever we are in these seasons and stages of our life, of our faith journey with you. And I pray this morning that you would speak to us and we can encounter you as we move into worship, God. Thank you for your presence here, and I, um, I just invite more of your Holy Spirit here as we worship. At Life Community Church, we want you to experience the powerful, life-changing love of God. To learn more, go to lifemohammed.org. lifemohammed.org.